Vahini Mekioni Mana, ladies and gentlemen, no flashbulbs, please. Our performers are temperamental and easily upset. Thank you for your cooperation. Oh, look at all the people. My goodness, you're all staring at us. We better start the show rolling. Wait, wait. We forgot to wake up the glee club. Hey, howdy, hey. And thank you for joining us here on the China Tiki Talk. We are your hosts. I'm Sean. I'm Alan. I'm Keith. So grab yourself a Dole Whip, pull up a chair, and enjoy the show. This is episode 37, the week of July 6, 2014. This week we are extremely excited to talk with an actress best known for her work as a reference model for Tinkerbell from the 1953 film Peter Pan. Tonight we welcome Margaret Carey into the Tiki Hut. Welcome, Margaret. Hello, Sean. Hello, Keith. And hello, hello. Alan, when you get there. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, once again, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us. We're really excited to talk with you. Well, I am always happy to talk about Tinkerbell. She is just such a fun thing, and she's been she's an icon and has been going for a thousand years, I think. <laughs> yeah. But there's she's... always something new to say about her because she's always doing something new, hey? Yeah, she's uh, she's a she's a great character. She's an interesting character. Um, she's a little naughty at times, so she. But who uh... isn't? Very <laughs> true. Very true. true. <laughs> <laughs> but you still love her when she's naughty. Oh, you yeah. know, other other. Of course, we're getting to the place where these um, celebrities can be really, really naughty, and people love them even more. That's I'm true. very confused at that. I really, <laughs> really am. So are most people. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know something that's so interesting that um, most people don't seem to catch, and uh, what I do when I go to celebrity shows or give talks at places, I often um, take. The original book by James M. Barry, and then I put a five by seven photo in it, and said, you know, and I sell them at, at very inexpensively because I want people to read the book. The book says so much more about her than you would ever know from the film, and you know a lot from the film. Right. But but in it, um, they never seem to notice. That in the opening sequence when they're in the nursery, that it's Peter Pan who is so clever and calculating. That he's the one who is figuring out, and James M. Barry says, if anybody had looked at Peter's face, they would have known that he was up to something. When he says to Wendy, oh, come back, you can fix pockets for us, you can cook for us, you can tell a story. I mean, he's manipulating all over the place, and nobody ever seems to mention that. <laughs> you have a, a great love for Peter Pan. Do you often read the book? Is it a yearly thing, or...? Well, every place that I go, uh, there are two scenes that I actually do. When I was over at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library, I did two talks over there. And I finish up my talks, and I sit down, and I read the scene in the nursery in three different voices. Because I don't know if you know, I'm a voiceover actress. I've yes. done over 600 cartoons, including the Three Stooges and, you know, all that sort of thing. So I do Wendy, and I do Tink, and I do the narrator, and I do Peter. 
Uh, and of course, there's such a shock when, when I give Tinkerbell's line when she leaves the room. Or I do the scene where Tinkerbell drinks the draft to save Peter's life. Mm. So I get people interested in the book and what actually happens. And I think that's wonderful because if they love her, they can learn more about her. It's sort of like a, uh, they used to have a um, movie uh, uh, magazines called Photoplay, and, so, and people would devour them to know more about their, their heroes or the, their favorite movie stars. Well, if you read the book, you can know more about Tinkerbell. Right, yeah, it's true. I, didn't, I wasn't aware that you actually would do some of the voices when you do um, when you talk about it. Um, do you do it in your normal voice, or do you change your voice? How do you I usually do it? I change my voice. Do and you? you know the lady who is telling you about what is happening. And uh, she says, Wendy uh, just uh, sits down and moves over and pats the bench beside her, inviting Peter to sit next to her. So I do that voice, and then I do Wendy with, oh, Peter! Oh, you're so fun. Oh, really? Is that what you do? Well, is she in the room? Is that lovely fairy? Oh, lovely. At the end of that scene where he says, Tank, he says, you can't, you can't be my fairy. I'm a gentleman, and you're a lady. Oh, Peter, what does she say? Oh. Well, she's not very nice. She says you're a big, ugly girl, and she can't be a... <laughs> but, and, and as as Tinkerbell flies out of the room, she's heard to say, Oh, you silly ass. <laughs> I, have awesome. the biggest, I have the biggest smile on my face right now. That's yes. great. I love that. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> but you know, that's what she does say, because back in 1904, what was an ass? It was a donkey. Right. right. It, it, or a mule. They call them both. And you could call somebody a jackass, and you know you're stupid, but not what what we're using the word today. So I usually when I read to folks, I said remember that before I start it, and (laughs) uh, and they get such a kick out of it. (laughs) (laughs) I did. Yeah, I did too. Oh good. Oh good. And so I love to do the narrator too. You know, the little thing was seen flitting about the room. (laughs) <laughs> I speak 21 different dialects. No, that's neat. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. I <clears throat> do about 48 different voices. I've done everything from a camel to a, um, um, a dolphin. Oh, I can a dolphin. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it's really easy to slip into it. But, you know, the interesting thing, fellas, is when I, I say to the people who I'm speaking to, now I want you to stand up, please, and I want you to stretch, and then I want you to turn around and then settle back down into your seats because I'm going to read to you. How long has it been since anybody has read to you? And you should see the smiles come over the audience's face. And so I start in and talk about the little glimmer, and there was something brighter in the room, and it darted here and there, for it was not a candle, but it was a little fairy. And they, you, you know, they're just, oh. <laughs> and the whole thing takes about six or seven minutes, and I have the best time. I have the better time than they do. Oh, I bet. You get to see everybody's reaction. Oh, it's grand. It's grand. And of course, they're just charmed by her. And they're charmed by Wendy, and I do bring out the fact 
that uh, Tinkerbell is not in love with Peter Pan. And they all look a little bit startled because <clears throat> when I started to be interviewed, I don't know, uh, when they re-released in the 40, 45 years after the movie was made, I was asked by Disney to do some interviews. And uh, the lady asked me, well, we know that Tinkerbell is uh, in love with Peter. And I looked at her and I said, who told you that? <laughs> she said, what? I said, she is not. You look at the book. There is nothing that says that she's in love with Peter Pan. What she's in love with is that he can take her on adventures. Oh. She is his groupie. <laughs> and, she is, and she is terrified and angry that he might take this big, ugly girl on the adventures instead of Tinkerbell. I mean, after all, Tinkerbell uh, fought Captain Hook by his side. Tinkerbell was in the nursery before when he lost his shadow. She's with him on all his adventures. And now he's being nice to this big, ugly girl. Well, Wendy must go. And it's not a love thing. And after all, the other thing that I say, does the 12-year-old boy love Wendy? Oh, come on. Have you been around a 12-year-old boy and you taught girls? Yeah. I mean, you guys were 12-year-old boys at one time. Right. What did, what did you say about girls? Yuck. Yuck. <laughs> right. So all this that we have put on, all of these characters, because we have turned into this world of everybody has to have a romantic, uh, some, some interaction that they didn't have to have in 1904 or 1911. Right. So it makes a difference. So anyway, you can quote me. And Pink <laughs> has told me she was not in love with Peter. She just wanted him for herself so they could go flying off to Neverland and fight the captain. You can't blame her. No. I don't at all. She's very logical for a fairy. <laughs> so um, Alan's now with us He's finished dinner, he's got a full belly And he's able to talk <laughs> Oh good, hello Alan, I'm glad you're there Hi, we're glad to have you, thank you so much And, and sorry for you being did. a little late Well, we'll we'll put up with it this time I, I appreciate it <laughs> It is my birthday tomorrow, so they're cutting me a little slack tonight So. Oh yes, yes Well, we know you working people <clears throat> It's always somebody else's fault, isn't it? I don't know how it is <laughs> Just joking, just joking. I know, that's all right. But the, 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 uh, those guys give me a lot worse than, than that, so that was, that was Exactly. <laughs> how did you end up working as the reference model for Tinkerbell, and how long did you end up doing it for? Well, it actually, I think, I didn't keep track because I was doing 14 other things. I was doing a, a network show with Charlie Ruggles for five years on ABC at the same time. I was also doing my own local television show at the same time. I was also on radio at the same time. So that's what we did. And that's why when I tell the story that I was so shocked when Mark Davis called me and said, would it be convenient for you to come to work next Tuesday? I had never been asked since I was four years old because that's when I started in show business, whether it would be convenient. Right. And, of course, what they were trying to do was accommodate my schedule. But I didn't know that. 
And I thought, boy, I must be somebody. (laughs) 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 And then I thought, well, I said, Tuesday would be fine. And then they said, and what time would you like? And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. There's something wrong here, because when you you worked in the movies, and I think you still do, you know, you be on the lot at 6.30 in the morning, you be in here at, at 7, get your hair washed, all set, all ready to go. Then at 7.30, you're in makeup. At 8, your hair is combed out. At 8.30, you're in, in wardrobe and on the set at a quarter of 9 or else. And so I thought, well, I'll just see whether they mean it. I said, how about 10 a.m.? And Mark said, that'll be fine. I'll be waiting for you. Wow. I I like working at Disney. (laughs) Yeah, really. Everybody gets to sleep in at Disney. That's great. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I soon learned what it was because I was never under contract at Disney. Um, They would call me when the next scenes came, and that's where they did most everybody, except for, of course, Catherine Beaumont, who was under contract at Disney when she did Alice, and then, of course, she did Wendy, which was a a very different thing. And I, you know, I really don't know whether um, Marge Champion was under contract, but I think she was for a year when she did Snow White, because I'm going far afield. I hope you don't mind. Oh, no. Oh, no, go ahead. uh, One of my dearest friends, it turned out later in... Oh, let's see, that was about, um, I guess, eight years ago. She passed away at the age of 91. But when she was about 87, she came back into Los Angeles, and she started to do the celebrity route because I introduced her to everyone. Well, her name was Virginia Davis, and Virginia was the four-year-old who played in Alice's uh, comedies for oh, really? Walt oh, Disney wow. back wow. in Kansas City. She was the only woman that I ever knew that was directed by Walt Disney himself. And Roy Disney, Roy O. Disney, uh, was the cameraman. And I have stills, which I'm just writing about it for my book, which will be out in, in um, I think, uh, September. And I have the still that she gave me. And there's Mr. Disney. Uh, you know, directing her, and she was about six years old. And uh, so she, um, I, I just, what happened was that she had worked. She came out and followed Walt Disney. They had finished the Alice's comedy. She was working on something else. Walt Disney called her and said, we want you to be the reference model for Snow White. They had her costume made. They had her name inside, Virginia Davis, and her mother would not sign at the exclusive contract for one year. Oh, so no. they let her go and call, called Marge uh, Gower, uh, Marge Belknap, uh, I'm sorry, Marge Belcher, uh, who, be, who became uh, Marge Champion. And they had her be the reference model for Snow White. Wow. And Virginia said, of course, it was the biggest mistake of my... But she went on to do lots of movies, and she was a dancer, and then she went straight into the real estate business. <laughs> 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 and, and she, she was Tinkerbell. She was, she was uh, what, 11 years older than I. And to tell you what an optimist she was, 
she was just absolutely the cutest little thing that you ever saw with her little cap that she would wear and perky. And so she came to Los Angeles. She was a widow, new widow. And she went out and bought a 10-week-old brown poodle. <laughs> a 10-week-old brown And I said, <laughs> I said, you, you are so optimistic. I mean, you're, you're, you're 87 years old. How long do you expect to live, Virginia? She said, oh, Buster Brown will just, somebody else will take care of him. He, she never trained him. He trained her. Wow. He, he had her up at 5.30 in the morning to get dressed to take her out for, take him out for a walk. She couldn't talk on the phone. He would bark. And she never knew it. I have an interview that I did with her, an hour interview that is so charming. And Buster Brown was, was in the interview. <laughs> but but it it was, so she, she missed out being a Disney legend and everything else because she did not go under contract for a year. Wow. I'm sure that Marge went under contract for a year, but they never offered it to me because, you see, I was an um, an ancillary character. I was not a lead character, but I turned out to be the most important character in the movie. Right. Yeah. Take us through the process of being a reference model. Well, I had no idea. Uh, I had guessed at what they're doing because, you know, I think that I was told uh, that actually they were keeping that pretty secret that they had reference models. Oh, it came up here and there. But they didn't broadcast it because they wanted to, they thought it would take some of the magic away, you know, and the way it right. does. So um, when I was talking with Mark Davis and after I was up in his office and I had taken a little 45 record that I had in my house and I had choreographed the night before the meeting with the audition with Mark Davis, I had choreographed because she was a, um, never spoke, I had to show that I could do pantomiming. So I choreographed the idea of a nine-year-old boy fixing breakfast in his house. And, of course, I you like looking in the refrigerator and then finding some eggs. And, of course, none of it was there. Uh, and I had to pretend that everything was there. And after I finished doing all of that, um, they said to me, what we want her to do, the first scene that you do, is where there's a looking glass, a large mirror on top of Wendy's dresser, and Tink lands there, and she sees herself in the mirror, and she looks and she's very, very pleased, and then she gets upset because she notices the size of her hips, and she stomps off. And can you do that? And I said, yes, certainly. So in his office, with all just furniture that had just been moved back and the two animation desks that were there, I walked over and sort of jumped on this area on a rug and looked down. And uh, they told me later that they were very, very pleased because um, I looked down past the floor as if I were seeing myself in the mirror. And then I looked up and of course I played it. I digress here for a minute. I played Tinkerbell as if she were about 11 years old, that she had never seen a mirror before. And she's, why should they have a mirror on Neverland? 
So I looked right. at it and I was so pleased. And I was, oh, that's what I look like. <laughs> and then, of course, got upset and stopped off. And then I realized what they were talking about, that that's what a reference model does for the animators. So each time that I would go and be called, I would go over to the soundstage, the one that they had, and Mark Davis would have the storyboards of what sort of what they wanted Tinkerbell to do. And it was usually an empty soundstage with a full camera crew and full lighting and a psych behind me. And then they would say, we want her to do this. And then I would, and it sounds like bragging, but it's not. They gave me a two-dimensional tink that was absolutely gorgeous. You can imagine Mark Davis's work was, was and is so gorgeous. But they had to have a third dimension, and that was me. So the first time that I stepped out in front of the camera, I said, Mr. Davis, do you want her to be like Betty Boop and bouncing around and so on? Do you want her to be like the queen of the fairies? And he said, Margaret, we want her to be you. And I said, gosh, golly, I think I can do that. <laughs> so, but, but, but the trick was to give her life. And why, why do you do that? Why do you do that? Why do you have a reference model? Okay, if you will watch some of the scenes that they play over and over, we'll say in the bonus parts of the DVDs that you get, you will see Tinkerbell as she's as Peter is calling to her. Says, "Tink, come here," and she says, "Who? Me?" And she walks around a big green leaf. Well, if you will look, you will see that her walk is the walk of a ballerina. Now, I'm a dancer. So that would be the walk that I gave her. I always gave her that walk. So that changes your shoulders. Now an animator could make up a walk, but why would he know what a ballerina's walk was? And why should he have to? So that's what a reference model brings, their own acting ability and their own personality to that character. It's almost the same as like a voice actor that it brings part of like, themselves a character on a screen. It's just the same thing, basically. Well, you should see us in front of a microphone. And I have, we'll say the Three Stooges. They were on their own microphones. I was on my mic. And I was doing the voice of the witch. <laughs> and then Hal Smith was doing, you remember him, Otis from the Andy Griffith Show? Yes, absolutely. Remember the drunk? Well, he did did all of these. Absolutely, a thousand wonderful voices. So we're standing at the same microphone. You should have seen us do the the um, the movement of our bodies. I mean, we did sometimes four different characters in one episode, and he would do three. We would have to change our bodies to go into that character, that voice. So how I was able to do it later on, sitting on a stool, I was never able to do it. I had to move. I had to move my shoulders. I had to change my head. And if they, you know, it would have been wonderful. America's Funniest Home Videos. <laughs> I tell you. And the three coaches were doing the same thing. You have to get your body into whatever you're doing, particularly when it's over the top in a cartoon or an animation. You were part of the uh, R gang too as well. Um, how were you uh, chosen for that? Well, actually, um, you see, I was born in 1929 and I caused the depression. 
<laughs> oh yeah, everything was right downhill from there. <laughs> and um, I was adopted when I was three and a half because my mother died. I find I found my family after 50 years. I found my real family. You talk about a pixie dusted life. Right. That's what I named, named my book, by the way. It's called Tinkerbell Talks: Tales of a Pixie Dusted Life, and That's it great. has been. It has just been incredible. It has been fabulous. Anyway, <clears throat> so anyway, I'm I'm adopted, and my wonderful folks who were old enough to be my grandparents when they adopted me. My mother had always wanted to be a concert violinist. And back then, women did not take to the stage. Only naughty women got up on the stage, unless you were an opera singer. Then that was okay. And so they were looking around of how to make money. Well, Shirley Temple was about then, and she was making money. So my dad, my new dad, knew Sheriff Biscay Lewis, and who was the very, very famous Sheriff Biscay uh, in Los Angeles. And he got my name put on central casting. And I was called one day to go to Warner Brothers. And I was picked to be a little fairy in Midsummer Night's Dream. So my first job was a fairy. <laughs> you think there's a, a, a theme here? And That's ironic, then, yeah. <laughs> and then I got called over to uh, Culver City to um, be with... Um, all right, our gang comedies. Trying to think of the of the name of the the man, the, the producer. Can't think of his name. Roach. Hal Roach Senior. Wonderful man. What a darling man. You know, most producers were just not nice. <laughs> but he he was he was dear. Anyway, so I'm standing there, I have no idea. Well, in one way, it was wonderful because it started me off on what motion pictures were like. And the other way, it was terrifying. You know why? Because I was either a bit player or an extra. And so I'm standing with a group of kids. And it, do you remember the name Darla Hood? She was the, the little girl singer that sang with Alfalfa and Spanky. Right. And, oh, she was better than Julie Garland. Wow. Well, I'm standing there not knowing what I'm supposed to do, you know, this little waif. And she comes out, and she belts out a song. I mean, I'm sure my, my jaw was down on the floor. And she was so wonderful. And I made up my mind at five years of age that I couldn't sing. And the rest of my life, I couldn't. Wow. I, I mean, I was just, I, she was so sensational. That was amazing. And then all of them were so, so good. I watched what they could do. But the most amazing thing to me was, we never knew what we were doing. You know, the, uh, Gordon Douglas, the assistant director, would say, run over there and smile, kids. And we'd run over and not smile. And then he'd say, laugh a little. We'd laugh a little. Then run over there and look sad. We'd run over there and look sad. We never knew why. The, the chapter in my book says, our gang comedies, what's my motivation? And, but, you know, the featured people, Alpha Alpha, Spanky, Buckwheat, Darla, um, Tommy Bupp, uh, I can't remember all of them right now. They actually had a script. They knew what the story was about. I was, I was stunned. And I thought that must be the greatest thing in the world. 
I was at five years of age. I was yearning to be in something that someone would give me a script and let me know what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's how I got into our gang. I think I was in eight of them. We're not quite sure. Uh, but I loved it and I hated it at the same time because I was bewildered. There was no one to take your hand and tell you what was going on. And you never talked to any of the other kids, ever. Really? Because you might give away the fact that you were going on an interview the next day, and that kid would tell her mother, and then she'd show up on the interview the next day. Oh, wow. And the mothers never talked about what was going on, and they would sit on these hard seats for eight hours at a time. I mean, it was it was it was an amazing time. Wow. Uh, but you know, people say to me, "Well, did you like your childhood?" And I say, "As compared to what?" Right. Yeah. That's so true. I learned what a dollar meant. I will tell you that much. And so that's one of the reasons that I seldom like to travel for fun. Uh, when Disney sent me over to London and to Toronto and to New York, um, there was work at the other end and I loved it. When they sent me on the Disney Magic Ship, I loved it because I was telling people about Tinkerbell. Uh, when I'm flying to Mount Airy in September um, for Mayberry Day, I love it because 10,000 people show up. I, I will invite everyone to come to Mount Airy. It turns into Mayberry. People come from all over the country and spend their vacation there. It's the last week in September. It's fabulous. And we have um, all kinds of people from the, from the uh, cast of, of uh, the Andy Griffith Show, and that's where uh, Andy's museum is. That's where um, we have parades. We have it's. It just takes over the town. I love to go there. I'm flying to Tampa Bay to do a show in Tampa Bay. I love it. But it's hard for me to say I will just go to Lake Tahoe just to see it. And that's because of my upbringing in the business. I've been at it 82 years now. Wow. That's impressive that um, you, you stuck with the... This, in the same industry for so long and, and you weren't jaded at a, such a young age well evidently I was good at it and my parents were wonderful parents and one of the things was that uh, I was working on the Eddie Cantor movie I played their daughter Joan Davis and Eddie Cantor and if you knew Susie and Bennett did a big tap dancing number on top of a table and all the rest of it and my mother who had been quite strict with me walked into my bedroom when I was 18 because I graduated on that. that uh, well, that's another story that I tell in my book. Anyway, I graduated uh, doing that show with Bobby Driscoll as my brother. And she said, you may now date. And walked out. <laughs> and I went, what? <laughs> First of all, I went to a girl's school all of my life. The reason being, I could get a, a working permit out of a girl's school easily. You couldn't out of a public school. I mean, they, would, they wouldn't let you work. <clears throat> oh. But a, a girl's school, so I didn't know any boys. And then otherwise I was at dancing school, acting school, uh, or working, right? And so I, got, I asked um, June Wilson, who was a dance stand-in for Joan Davis, 
where do you find boys? <laughs> and she said, come over to Hollywood Presbyterian Church on Wednesday night at, at uh, Christian Education. We've got them over there. <laughs> and I duded up my, oh, I got all dressed up like Liz Scott, who was, the, oh, she was the most glamorous one there. And I showed up, and June was right. There were, I wouldn't know what to do with them, but I knew where they were now, at least. <laughs> and uh, and I, I found the Lord. I mean, just like that. Uh, it, it was amazing and wonderful people. And then they had a Hollywood Christian group for actors and entertainers. And they looked after us. And when it got to really sour in the business and go in a direction which I really didn't want to get in, and which you can see how far it's gone, watching television and movies and so on. I could move because I was, and I'm back to Disney again. I was asked to do the voiceover for the Red-Headed Mermaid in Peter Pan. And, of course, I was doing radio at the same time. And, this, and then I was also the reference model for the artist for the Red-Headed Mermaid. And I thought to myself, self, I thought, I often talk to myself, I said, <laughs> Voiceover in animation is clean. You never have to ask what kind of scenes. Like you go, I was going into interviews and they were saying, you don't mind doing nude scenes, do you? And I went, yeah, I do. What, are you out of your mind? <laughs> so anyway, that's how I got over to doing the over 600 cartoons wow. voices that I did. <clears throat> and I went in that direction. So I didn't get jaded. And I just feel like I'm blessed. And uh, they're still helping actors. And here, here's what I will tell you about. I got a call because I was Tinkerbell and this man knew me and he was doing a, a nervous B movie. And he thought it would be great if I, as Tinkerbell, he knew me as Tinkerbell, if I would just do a cameo in his movie. And I thought, what fun, I knew him. And so I was supposed to do talk on the telephone and uh, and talk as the mayor of this town I was talking as his wife on the phone and I read the script and she says a four-letter word good talking on the, in the script and I said to this lovely young man I said you know I really don't think that the mayor mayor's wife would say that over the phone you know it's just not politically yeah, she could get caught on it, and it's a small town. He says, okay, change the, change the script. It was as easy as that. Wow. And that's what we were doing all along. We would say, you know, I'd rather do it this way. Oh, fine. So when you say I didn't get jaded, no, I didn't. The industry has been wonderful to me. And I'm still, and then when I found out that fans wanted to meet Tinkerbell, <clears throat> and I could talk to her. I mean, you talk about a blessing. I'm having a lovely time. <laughs> Speaking of the, the red-headed mermaid, is she related to the Little Mermaid Ariel? Oh, yes. I talked to, um, oh, who did the Ariel? Who did, who did the voice for Ariel? Come on, tell me quick. I sound awful. Um, uh, Paige? Was it Paige O'Hara? No. No, that was, um, she did uh, Belle. Yeah. yeah, she did Belle. But, uh, well, anyway, I spoke to her at one of the <clears throat> D23s. I said, look, I'm your great-great-grandmother, as I told her. And she said, fine, Granny. 
<laughs> I'm the great great grandmother of Ariel. That's great. When you were working at it with Tinkerbell, are there any scenes that stick out to you that were extra difficult for you to to act out? Yes, there was. Hold on, just a minute. Go to clear my voice. <clears throat> uh, you have seen this, I think, in the bonus uh, clips. But they gave me this. Uh, I don't know. It was about 15 feet high pair of scissors made out of wood. Right, right, right. And she uses it to try to get the, the drawer open, and I was supposed to pull against that. Unfortunately, <clears throat> they made them so light that there was nothing to pull against. So <clears throat> they put a rope around my waist, and they put a rope around the scissors, you know, to keep the one I opened it. That didn't work. So I'm... I'm you know, trying to dig in my heels and look like I'm pulling, but it's not working. So then the, the prop man put a rope around his, his waist to pull against me, but he didn't fasten it well enough, and he didn't tell me that he was going to do it. So they said, okay, we're rolling, and I start to pull, and I pull him off balance. He goes past me and pulls me with him, and down we go in the heat and not hurting each other. I mean, it was just, you know, it should have been the slow motion. <clears throat> Mark Davis got up to come over, and I'm starting to laugh, and the prop man is laughing, and, I, and Mark Davis is headed, and he trips on something, and he lands right next to us, and the three of us are sitting there, and he's chuckling. I don't think Mark ever laughed out loud, but he's chuckling, and, and, and you know, they help us up and brushing us off, and we'll go do it again, and we all said, we want a copy of that film. <laughs> And the cameraman said, sorry, you were out of camera range. Oh. <laughs> so it never really looked good, but I knew that the animators could make it look, you know, as if it were more difficult than it really was. But that was really the only one. The big prop that I had through the um, um, keyhole, the big one, uh, where my whole body's through the keyhole, um, they had to thread me through that. I could not get in or out of that by myself. Oh, really? And if you look at a picture, you could look on my website, TinkerbellTalks.com, and you will see a picture of me threaded through that. And you will look down and see I'm standing on my tiptoes because they made the blessed thing too tall. <laughs> and, but we did it. <laughs> That's a that's such a classic picture, and I love that picture. It's uh, isn't that adorable. Yeah, that's a great picture. Well, I must tell you the other thing that is so sweet to know, and I asked Catherine Beaumont about this. I said, I, I people forget back then in the 1948, 49, 50, 51, round in there, that the crew members were all hardened men. There right. was not a woman in the crew. And I'm walking around with a one-piece bathing suit and on a soundstage with nothing but males around, and I'm wearing a cover-up, which I grabbed for when Walt Disney walked on the soundstage and I was introduced to him. But anyway, I'm walking around, and when I was threaded through the keyhole, there I am with my backside showing and the front <laughs> of me, and ne'er a word. Wow. Because Mark Davis wouldn't put up with it. So I said to Catherine, and of course she had worked the Alice 
movie. And I said, you know, I, I talked to her on the BBC when we were being interviewed. Catherine, did you feel as protected as I did? And she launched in. She says, absolutely. I never worried about a thing. Wow. We were protected by the directors, and we could walk. If we said something accidentally that we didn't mean to say, you know, never a word was said. And that was wonderful because I had been to other sound stages. Or I will tell you, if I were walking around, I mean, the comments that would have been made were not nice. Wow. That's amazing. What, a, what you know, who Walt Disney, actually, the people he had working for him and the respect that they had for, you know, women. Well, when I, when I chatted with him, the, you know, it was serendipity that I met him three or four, might have been five times. He was working on another project in the same soundstage. So naturally, he when he finished that... I was over working on something with Buddy Ebsen, which I'm told led to the animatronics, but I don't know. Uh, he would come over, and it, because Mark Davis and Jerry Geronimi were only, what, 40 feet away, and the camera, so he would come over and chat with them. And, of course, I was included. <laughs> and I wish I could tell you I was witty. But I wasn't. I was, the only thing that I remembered was I didn't know how to address him. I had been taught, because I came from the old school, I even called Mark Davis Mr. Davis, right? Right. That's what I, so I was not, how do you do Mr. Disney? Well, that sounded dumb. And uh, hi, Walt. I, <laughs> I was a little forward. And hi, Uncle Walt. No, I don't think that would do. So I, in the in the four or five times I've met him, I made sure I never called him by name. Oh, really? Yeah, I just I just didn't know he was so charming. He was much slimmer than I thought, and he was beautifully dressed in casually, and you you couldn't miss, you know, if you worked in as many movies that had costumes and so on. You, you don't miss what, what people wear. And a beautiful pair of slacks and a shirt. And I think he was wearing a jacket, but I just, I don't remember that. But he was much more handsome than he was in, in, in photographs. And uh, he could chit-chat. I mean, it was sort of amazing. And he stayed, I, I guess, five, seven, eight minutes. And I went, wow. <laughs> and it was amazing that I could work the rest of the day. And he um, he always knew your name, right? He always, no, always knew who you no, were. No, he, he didn't know my name. Oh, no, he, really? I was introduced the first time, but why should he? You know, and nobody was making a big deal out about it. He was meeting me serendipitously. There was right. no reason for him to. So I, he knew certainly that I was... Tinkerbell, and he knew, and he would look at the pictures, and he would look at what I... At one time, I, I finished doing uh, first take on something, and then I was keeping in mind what... Because we always had two takes, one for, for protection. That's why I became two-take tink. Uh, <laughs> and I looked up, and he had been watching me do my work. And I thought, wow, that's, that's about the neatest thing that I can say. <laughs> So, I mean, he knew what I was doing. He knew uh, that Mark Davis was pleased with me. And I, he was just being nice, nice guy. Do you have a favorite moment with Walt at all? 
that stood out in your mind? Yes, there is one. I had mentioned that one time uh, with Jerry Geronimi and, and Mark Davis. Jerry Geronimi was one of the directors of the whole movie, and he was always there. There were three directors, and for the life of me at this moment, I can't tell you what their names are. Um, the, the, the big wigs, I mean, really wonderful. One of them is the one who did the, um, the nature shows. Oh, well, anyway, uh, I was talking to them, and I said, by the way, I, I've never mentioned that I went to school with uh, Sharon and Diane Disney. And we, talk, we talked about it for a minute, Monticello School for Girls. And the last time I saw Diane, I mentioned it again, and uh, she whooped. <laughs> she said, I haven't heard that for so long. And uh, so evidently he mentioned it to Walt Disney, I guess, because out of the blue, Mr. Disney said, I understand that you went to school with my two daughters. And I wish I could tell you that I was brilliant. It's also in my book. <laughs> you know, Tinkerbell Talks, because I talk and talk. Anyway, <laughs> I wish I could tell you, you know. But I stood there, I'm sure, as a as a, a, a little schoolgirl with my hands behind me, in, you know, in a reverse fig leaf, and my feet together and looked up at him and said something like, yes, we were in different classes together. You know, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember him mumbling something like, I'm sure they liked you. You, you, you know, that was the end of that. So that was sort of a highlight. How do you, how do you feel about, uh, I guess, the progression of Tinkerbell through the years and where she is at now compared to where she was at when you were Tinkerbell? Well, I think I'd like to answer that by saying I want to, everybody that is listening to this, I want them to ask themselves, have they ever seen the movie Return to Neverland? Now, a lot of people don't even know that that movie existed. It was supposed to go right to DVD, but it was turning out to be so good that they sent some of the top artists to, I think it's New Zealand, where they were making this movie, and they decided it should go to the theaters. Now, it is the final movie to see Tinkerbell as Mark Davis drew her and designed her. Because the Tinkerbell that Disney has made since then in the sequels, I should say in the prequels, are not Tinkerbell as Mark Davis saw her, but they are Tinkerbell as Disney sees her, as the new people see her. Okay, everybody moves along. Tinkerbell goes back in time, that's amazing to me. <clears throat> Uh, I'm pleased with her. I had more people ask me whether uh, they thought it was right that she should be talking. And I said, wait, wait, wait a minute. Tinkerbell in the new movies only talks to other fairies. And that was the deal from the very get-go. Oh, wow. And she never talked to human beings. And, of course, Peter Pan is both human and a fairy. Uh, so uh, that, that goes, but if you... Have you seen the movie, by any chance, The Great Fairy Rescue? I haven't, but I know my niece has. Well, in it, they do the most wonderful thing. Tinkerbell gets caught accidentally on a joke by one of the, her fairy friends, and she gets captured by Liz, the daughter of an entomologist who captures flies and butterflies and puts pins in them. And so the fairies have to come and save Tinkerbell. But in the meantime, 
Tinkerbell and Liz have to communicate with each other. And Liz, of course, can't understand Tinkerbell because all she hears is the tinkle of a bell. So they stayed true to, to James M. Barry. She never talks to human beings. But I couldn't imagine. It's sort of like if you ask a question like that, think it through, just like the same question that I've asked, oh, loads of people when um, the last, the 50th anniversary of Peter Pan was released and we traveled all over with it. I said, do you ever notice something different about um, Mr. Darling in, in the movie and in the play? I'm sure you've seen the play. And they go, what? I said, did you ever notice that Mr. Darling and Captain Hook are the same character? And, and people look and they say, no. <laughs> well, he is. And talk about your psychology. <laughs> <laughs> you know, think about it. Uh, I mean, uh, they haven't noticed it. I said, there is so much more to that. My favorite movie of all times, no matter what, is not Peter Pan. That's close second. But my favorite one is Mary Poppins. The reason being is that every time I see it, I see something new. It is an amazing movie. And the, the, being a dancer, of course, I sit there with my jaw hanging open still when I see the chimney sweep dance. I think that's one of the finest dances I've ever seen in film. And uh, the storyline, I love it because, uh, and I will look at people and they will say, what storyline is that? It's the storyline of the mother and father who are too busy to look after their children. They love their children, but they're too busy to look after them. And uh, Bert and uh, Mary Poppins come and they work it out that the parents understand, let's go fly a kite. And the people look at me and say, that is the story, isn't it? There is so much more to that. There's so much more to return to Neverland. It's a great story. And if you want to see Tinkerbell in her finest, as Mark Davis designed her the second time, get that that movie and see it. I'll have to go watch it. I, 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 it's probably been 20 years since I've seen it. It's amazing. It's an amazing. I think that I should have gotten a nomination for the Academy Award for my death scene. <laughs> you know, when I drink the potion. But, uh, right. they, you know, I got very upset with Disney because they wouldn't put me up for, for a nomination. I felt that I should really be there. I mean, uh, but, you know, it's politics. What can I tell you? <laughs> if you could change one thing about Tinkerbell, what would that be? Nothing. Nothing? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. You know, when I went on the um, press junket over to London, there were 60 people who made their living as wordsmiths writing articles and newspaper columns and so on. And I talked to at least 25 of them because we couldn't talk to all 60. But I would ask them this. I would say, tell me one word that you can use describing Tinkerbell. Now, attitude is, no, that, that really doesn't do it. And I have to tell you, I, I spent years trying to figure one out. And there were only two people that attempted, really, only two people that attempted. And you know what I came up with, with the word? Tinkerbell is beguiling. You love her if she's very naughty, and you love her if she's very nice. She warms your heart. 
and she's beguiling. Why would I change anything? True. And that's what the the magic of Mark Davis, because nobody knew what she was really going to look like. And you know, Mindy Davis's, <clears throat> I mean, um, Mindy um, Johnson's book, Tinkerbell, Evolution of a Character. She's done research. It is just brilliant and 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 very um, in depth of what what Mark Davis really had to put up with behind him. It was amazing. And there were many people at the studio who thought Tinkerbell was she was too curvy. And they knew that the Disney people, uh, the Disney company, had made all this money on victimizing their heroines. I mean, they had a poor, poor Snow White. She's going to get killed. Poor Cinderella. She's going to be scrubbing floors all of her life. And poor Sleeping Beauty. She was going to sleep through eons and put upon people. And even Alice, she was put upon. And here was this feisty little thing. And uh, of course, Wendy was not really put upon. Wendy was quite courageous. But Tinkerbell was really courageous. And they thought, we shouldn't go that way. And Mark Davis just kept moving along and moving along and moving along until, and again, it's a chapter in my book. Because I sat there in the projection room and Mark invited me to see the first time that she was animated with um, pencil drawings. And I cried. She was so adorable. She was so precious. And I have to tell you, I said, yeah, and that's me. (laughs) But, but what he went through to do that people don't realize just changing a little bit here and then he would have people tell him why don't you do that no I think that she's too curvy no but in if you get the book when I started this interview I said get James M. Barry's original book unabridged he says that Tinkerbell is a fairy who is very comely and she's dressed in a low cut gown made of skeletal leaves and it shows off her body shows off her curves that's what he says so anyway and it plays uh, off well then i'm happy i'm happy with her of course i really was i kept going to prequels and i understood this i've not said this out loud before but i I was amazed when they told me uh, the first one that I, i went over to see that she was going to sleep in a room. And it just never occurred to me that a fairy slept in a room. I always thought that they slept under a mushroom or something. <laughs> and it never occurred to me that she went to she would go to work from nine to five. And it never occurred to me that she'd have a supervisor. <laughs> a, a wonderful supervisor, absolutely adorable supervisor. But it just didn't occur to me that she would ever hunker down and really be a tinker. Um, and of course, tinkers are very important as it shows up. But what I do love about the prequels is every single one of those has taught a very subtle, strong message to, to the children who are watching these things. Very uh, One of them where she breaks apart the, uh, I can't remember the name of it right now, where she, because she, she wants to do it her way, she breaks apart the blue... Um, magic wand that they bring out every year and she has to go to this island and she stops flying and she's been caustic to her friends and 
she gets over there and she gets into trouble going aboard this wreck of a ship because what she's looking for. And her friend Terrence, the um, sparrow boy, shows up and she suddenly realizes how important friends are. I mean, kids watch this over and over and over and they learn how to treat friends. Is that not great? It is great. It's a great lesson. Yeah. It, it's just, and they do such a gorgeous job. I was born and raised in North Carolina, so I'm pretty sure I lose my residency if I don't ask about your time on the Andy Griffith Show. Just a little bit oh, of a, touch oh. base a little bit on that. Well, I'm, um, they've gotten in touch with me, and as I say, I'm flying up at the last week in September for Mayberry Days, <clears throat> which is a highlight of my life. I was in, there was a lady, and once again, it's in my book, Tinkerbell Talks, which will be out in a couple of months. And uh, so watch my, uh, hey, I better give a plug. Go to my website, TinkerbellTalks.com. You will see more stuff about Tinkerbell. It's, it's such a beautiful website. I had nothing to do with it. A fan did it for me, so I can brag about it. Anyway, <clears throat> there was a lady that, who had seen my work many, many times. Her name was Ruth Birch, and she was a casting director for The Andy Griffith Show along with some other for Sheldon Leonard shows that she did. And she thought I would be just great for this uh, uh, one, uh, one uh, the Christmas show. And she called me over to the set, and over I came and introduced me. And it was such a, a comfortable set. It was the difference about that set and other, other uh, sets that you went to. It was what we called, a, or what I call, an inclusive set. The minute that you were going to be cast in a part, you were included in everything as if you had been there every week. And so I'm standing there uh, meeting Andy Griffith, and he says, yep, I think she'll do just fine. And so I'm spinning, I'm happy. And uh, uh, so I'm, I'm just, so I went over to wardrobe, and then I showed up. And, and lo and behold, my joy, they sent me a script. <laughs> <laughs> and I even knew what the whole show was about. And that's likening it me back to my our gang days when I thought that would be the greatest thing that ever happened. Uh, Don Knotts was a dear. Uh, my my husband in the show was Sam Edwards, who you saw every place. And my daughter in it, Joy Ellenson. The most interesting thing, maybe you know this being from North Carolina, but Joy is now one of the most sought-after dialect and dialogue directors in motion pictures. She works with the top actors in uh, when they need a new dialect or dialogue, and I mean the top uh, Oscar winners. So that was my little girl, <laughs> Joy Ellenson, <laughs> and I, I think she may be at Mayberry this year. I hope she is. I just hope she is. I'd love to see her again. So we we have this wonderful parade, and I do. Do any of you remember a metro a Nash Metropolitan? That little itty bitty car usually had a white top and an aqua bottom, and some people called it a clown car, and it was in a lot of commercials. Well, right. I drove I drove one for 17 years. Wow! I got 31 bottles per gallon on that little car and my air conditioner was a little fan that you plugged into the cigarette lighter <laughs> anyway I loved that little car 
they have found one up there, and they have it and keep it so I can ride in it in the parade. I mean, oh, they are nice. so thoughtful. And the whole main town, the main street, turns into Mayberry. And they show all the episodes that people want to see. And Jim Best shows up. And and um, uh, Browning is his name. Oh, come on, come on, come on, Margaret. Ah, his first name is like John Browning. Well, he is Don Knotts. He used to open for Don Knotts as Barney Fife. He is so funny. He's hysterically funny. And then we have uh, we have Floyd the Barber. We ha- oh we have all the characters, and and all things are happening. And you would get in touch. I'm going to give a plug to Surrey Arts Council because it's in Surrey County. S U R R Y. Not S-U-R-R-E-Y. I'm sure you could get on it in Mayberry Days, too. But come on, come on down, or come on up. We fly into Charlotte, and then we drive up, and we have a golf game at Ernest Tee-Off Golf. And it's, it's just a ball, and my good friend, George Lindsay Jr., uh, who played uh, Gomer, his dad played um, Gomer, and he he does the same thing. He is so funny. The Dillard Band comes. I'm inviting everybody. <laughs> we just have a wonderful time. Speaking speaking about the Andy Griffith Show, you might like to know this. Eleanor Donahue played in the Christmas Show, the first one that I did, the only Christmas show that they ever did. And she tells a story about <clears throat> she's we're all in in the jail because uh, uh, mean old. Uh, Mr. Weaver once is thrown in jail because moonshine, <laughs> and uh, and then Ben Weaver sees what's going on and he wants to come into jail too. He tries everything to get Andy to throw him into jail, but that's what the whole show is about. But in 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 the show, um, Eleanor is is said that she was told that she is going to sing away in the manger, no quib for his head. A little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. And she said, Andy, I don't sing. I don't. He said, don't worry about it. You know, we'll record it later on, and we'll just dub it in. Don't worry about it. And so she said she got nervous about it. But then we started doing the show. And in one of the breaks, Andy took her aside, and he says, you know about this song? She says, Andy, I, he says, all I want to do is find the key. So he's sitting there with his guitar, and he says, let's try this key. No, that's not going to work. Let's try that key. No, that's not. Wait a minute. Let's try this one. Hey, let's let's try it. I'll sing along with you. So they, he says, that's a good key. Okay, try it. Just to see whether, whether that, you know, is it the right key for you. So she does it, and they finish, and they, they were called back on the set. And she says, Andy, you know, when I have to do this uh, in front of the microphone, I just don't think I can. He said, don't worry about it. We just recorded it. <laughs> oh, wow. <Yeah>. wow. <laughs> and so we, Sam Edwards and I and Joy and Kelly Flynn are standing there watching her sing this song and Andy playing a guitar and Don not sitting back. I mean, what a scene to be in. It's probably the most played Andy Griffith episode of all of the episodes. Yeah, that um, has always been a favorite of mine. I love that show, and any time that he would sing, especially, is a, a treat yeah, for yeah, all yeah, of us, for sure. Yeah. Right, we wanted him to do more of that, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we did. He, 
Do you know offhand how long it's been on the air? Uh, no, I do not. It's coming up to 55 years. Wow. Five, five. I think that surpasses the Walt Disney Sunday show. Wow. I don't think it surpasses the uh, uh, Lawrence Welk show. I don't know. But that's incredible, isn't it? Well, and it still, like, holds up, too, as oh, a yeah. show, and oh, yeah. the, the stories and the characters are so, you know, um, powerful that... And we still can't believe how good Ronnie Howard was as a little kid, can we? Right, yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. mean, he brings something new and different to every line that he does, and it's perfect. Amazing. His dad was on the set, really, really nice fellow. And um, I think, yeah, I worked with him on that one, but the one that I did with Andy Forecloses, once again with Will Wright as mean old Ben Weaver, uh, I don't think he was on the set on that one, that where I was. But uh, that Ron Howard, uh, and he loved what he was doing. He, he, just, he just loved it. He was there, bright-eyed, everything's fine. <laughs> it, it, it was family, no question, and we were included in that family which i have been on some shows where you are excluded only the core people talk to each other it's amazing have i talked too long for you guys how long have i been with you i don't have a a clock here uh it's it's an hour and 15 minutes oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) i could sit here for days and listen to you so (laughs) bless your heart well, I'm Irish, I found out when I found my family. I'm a McCarty, capital ah. M-C, capital C-A-R-T-Y, and I'm Scottish, a Henderson, H-E-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. And my claim to fame is my big relative in the McCarty clan was Billy the Kid. Oh, wow, thanks, really? You know, thank, thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no king in my background. <laughs> so, but anyway, no, I'm told that, that McCarty, there was a, an Irish king way back when, but I don't think they kept good records. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. I, I laugh at me because uh, I visited Ireland, and I would say, you know, uh, I'm a McCarthy, and it's a uh, McCarty, and they would say, McCarthy, and I said, no, we kicked the H out of McCarthy. That went over <laughs> big. It really did. <laughs> There's a... Uh, before I found out I was Irish, because I, I told you um, I was 54 before I found my family, there was a joke that I used to tell from the stage that I absolutely love, and I'll share it with you. And then I'm going to have to sort of wind down because my voice is going, and I suspect we may have a fire. In the, I, I smell smoke in the air here. Uh, I'm oh, in the foothills of the San Gabriel Mountain, and I saw the forest fire truck go by just before you called me. So oh, wow. I'm starting to feel it, you know, kind of thing. <clears throat> but anyway, my favorite joke was, uh, this is about the, the, the men, uh, they're in a pub over in Ireland. And they're talking about diversity, you know, all these different types of people. And, you know, and one of them says, Michael is saying, I don't know what I would do if I were born Italian. I don't know. I think I could handle it. And the other one says, uh, well, you know, Murphy says, you know, I, I, I think it would be awful if I, if I had to say I was a Scandinavian. I, I just, and he turned to Patty, and Patty's knocking him back pretty good at the bar. And they finally say, what, what about you, Patty? He doesn't say anything. Finally, they say, Patty, what would you be if you weren't Irish? 
Patty says, I'd be ashamed. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that story. <laughs> it That's must good. be so old, but it's so good, and you never know where it's going to go. <laughs> Everybody that comes on, we have five questions for them. Um, it's oh, all park, Disney okay. Parks related. Um, sure. It's... Uh, we know one of them that we that you already have answered was um, your favorite uh, movie, and you said uh, Mary Poppins, correct? Yes, and right next Disney, to that... Well, favorite is, Disney movie. Um, no, it's my favorite movie, period. Okay, uh, it's a I Disney just, movie, so that works. Okay, now, and, and then the next one is Peter Pan, and right next to that, I mean, there's like runners, you know, that win by a fraction of a second, and right next to it is the great movie Pinocchio. Oh, wow. Three great choices. Okay. So what's the next question? When you go to the parks, or do you get to go to the parks much at all? No, I don't. No? Okay. I live a, a mile away from Disney Studios, which is the second happiest place on earth, and I live a half a mile away from Imagineering. Oh, Guess wow. where I play. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you can answer, do you have a favorite snack that you're over there that you get to eat? You know, um, yes, and you're going to laugh. I love their peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> I, I love oh, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. sandwiches. Do you have a favorite uh, attraction that you've ever been on in um, Disneyland? Yes, yes, I do. I can answer that. And excuse me if I tell a quick story. Do you know the, of the Ryman Arts place where they uh, teach young folk <clears throat> when they want to give them scholarships, whether they yes. want to be an artist or not. Well, Marty Sklar, that's his big thing. And I appear uh, at the fundraiser, and they auction me off. And what it is is I will go with the person that pays the highest bid and go on my favorite ride. So the first time that it happened, they said, what's your favorite ride? And I said, my favorite ride is the teacups. <laughs> I adore the teacup. And they wouldn't let me, they didn't give me enough time to say why. I said, because it spins around, but I control the faster spin. It's the only ride in Disneyland that I can control. <laughs> That's true. Right? That's true. Yeah. Well, the man paid $300 extra if we didn't have to go on the teacups. <laughs> <laughs> I was, worth, I was worth 700 bucks. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so, but I do love the teacups. I just I, I just think it's such fun, and I hold onto the table in front of me so that we can spin around and enjoy the centrifugal force without the teacups spinning around. Right. Is that, maybe they'll throw me off the next time if I tell them that. <laughs> oh, well, I'm Tinkerbell. I, I, will, I will use my influence. <laughs> that's right. Do you have a favorite uh, Disney character? Is it Tinkerbell? Oh, come on. <laughs> well, you know, I could say, of course, it's Tinkerbell. I adore her. <clears throat> I think she's the cutest thing that ever happened. And I love being her. And she's outspoken. Um, <clears throat> I was just doing an... Um, may I, may I uh, tell you what was going on today? I have a clubhouse that, that uh, people can join. It's on my website, and they can get a free view of all kinds of clips of me on the Lone Ranger, on the Andy Griffith Show, and then 
uh, you know, in front of the the audiences. But on top of that, we have other dizzy things that are happening on it, and it's called Margaret Tinkerbell Carey's Clubhouse. <clears throat> so one of the things they want me, excuse me, hold on. <clears throat> I'm supposed to sit in front of a, a camera and and in, invite people who are on my Facebook, and I will invite people to come on my Facebook if they like. It's uh, TinkerbellTalks.com or Margaret Carey. I can't remember which, but it's there. You can find it. <clears throat> anyway, so I'm supposed to, uh, they want me to invite friends that are on the Facebook to become members on my clubhouse. And so one of the things that said, and so many of my friends have become members. Why haven't you? Well, why not? <laughs> well, maybe you wanted a personal invitation. So here it is, and here's what you do. You get on my website, you look at the clubhouse, you see a free video. I will tell you that you will enjoy it, and then you click now. So they said to me, Margaret, you can't tell people what to do. And I said, why not? I'm Tinkerbell. <laughs> and they went, you're right. So they left it in. <laughs> <laughs> You know, instead of saying, oh, I'd love it if you join, I said, um, and you aren't a, a member? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> and, but that's what she can do, and that's why I love her. And I do invite people to go on my website, TinkerbellTalks.com, and look at the clubhouse because we're going to do a brand new thing. If you uh, were starting it in about a month and a half, we're going to have you send in pictures of your darling little kids up to the age of three and a half, and I'm going to be talking over the pictures as we show them to other club members. And I'm going to tell you what I think that they look like Disney or so on, and they can copy. We will have it fixed so that they can video that. I mean, they can, what do you call it? Um, um, tape it. Right. So we'll, we'll want pictures of their kids or grandkids and just adorable little ones, and their name will be up there. Because I think, I mean, I'm as cute as can be. Let's face it. I agree. And, Tinker, and, and Tinker, well, Tinkerbell's a little bit cuter, but I can't keep doing videos all the time that look as cute as I am. And <laughs> I just, I have great grandchildren, and they're the cutest things. They're almost as cute as I am. So... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to put their pictures up, too, and let people enjoy them. And I want to enjoy people's children and grandchildren. So I would love to invite them to come on the clubhouse and move, and stick with us because we haven't put that up yet. Oh, they're going to kill me that I, I spilled the bills. Uh, beans. Uh -oh. oh, dear. Oh, well, well they, don't know that I live in, they don't know I live in Glendale. So, you know, everything's fine. <laughs> so anyway, that... Um, you asked me a question, and I will tell you, it has just been a pixie-dusted life. Being the uh, reference animator's model for Tinkerbell. And I just, when somebody says to me, fellas, when they say, don't you get sort of tired of that? And I look at people and I said, when I can say, James and Barry, Walt Disney, Peter Pan, Mark Davis, Tinkerbell and Margaret Carey all in the same sentence 
you think I'm going to get tired of that? That's amazing. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> I it's won't. a great life. It's a blessing, and it's pixie dusted. And if I may, I'd like to send your way. Oh yes, Faith please. and trust, and a whole bunch of pixie dust. Okay. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And thank you for asking me. Bless you. Okay. Oh, I thought you had hung up. Sorry. Uh, wait, real quick. <laughs> real quick no, before I you go. No, I never hang up. I, I never hang up. I want people to say, "Gee, you were good." <laughs> you were excellent. All three you were. Ready? Yeah. One, two, three. Okay. Gee, you were good. <laughs> you were awesome. <laughs> before before we do hang up, just tell everyone uh, your websites again, real fast, uh, and where they can it's, find um, you. Okay. My website is tinkerbelltalks.com. My email is tinkerbelltalks at roadrunner.com. And my Facebook, I haven't the clue. My computer won't let me on my Facebook, so I have a darling lady who takes what I write and she puts it on, and then she reads me the messages from my wonderful, wonderful friends. And I just love it because I would be up 36 hours if I got onto my own Facebook. I know. <laughs> so it's TinkerbellTalks.com. Easy to remember. The name of my book that's coming out is Tinkerbell Talks, Tales of a Pixie Dot. Pixie Dusted Life, and um, that's about it. Awesome. Well, that's we, enough, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you've got a lot going on. You've got more going on than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I'm up and at them. I just turned 85, and I, I have so much on the schedule, it's amazing. So I've got to go. I've got somebody at my front door. Oh. Okay. Isn't that right. fun? Okay. Bless Stay you safe all. Now. Oh, thank you so Perfect. much. We thank really appreciate so it. Thanks, okay, so stay safe dear. out there now. God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's going to do it for this week. Be sure to let us know what you thought of the show. You can comment over at EnchantedTikiTalk.com. You can email us at podcast at EnchantedTikiTalk.com. And you can leave us a message on the Tiki Talk hotline, which is 256-4MY-TIKI. That's 256-469-8454. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Check out our store at redbubble.com. And, of course, follow us on Twitter at Tiki Talk Podcast. Lastly, if you enjoy the show, please take the time to rate us on iTunes. And you can find me on Twitter at One Minute Disney Dream. That's one M I N Disney Dream and MouseWorldVacations.com. And you can find me on Instagram, on Facebook, and Twitter at Dolph Whip Daily, and online at DoleWhipDaily.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm at Norman Bates. That's N O R M N B, the number eight, and the letter S. Thanks for listening this week for Sean, Keith, and our very special guest Marjorie Carey. I'm Alan, and this has been Enchanted Tiki Talk. Aloha. Shadow. Shadow. Shadow.